0: Craig, as he was getting ready to head off to uh, Uganda, uh, asked me to fill in for him. And uh, as was pointed out, we've only been here five weeks. So clearly at, uh, at Redeemer, they're not hesitant to seek people to be involved in ministry. So it's it's a delight and a privilege to share God's word with you. But what I'd like to do is have you stand at this point so that we can read God's word from Judges, chapter 6, Uh, In your pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 174. Uh, It's way back toward the beginning of the Old Testament. And what I'd like to do is read uh, verses uh, 11 through 27 of Judges uh, chapter 6. And this is the account of God's work in Gideon's life. Hear God's word. It's indeed the very word of God and worth hearing and attending to. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out from Egypt? But now, Lord, now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. What the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizrites. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. now ends the reading of God's Word. Let's pray and ask the Lord to open our hearts before him. Father, we come to you now as your people... Hearing your word, but seeking to know it better, seeking to know you better. And we pray that your spirit would open our hearts and teach us all that you have for us. And that you take my words, as feeble and frail as they may be, and make them powerful by your spirit, to your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. That's a lengthy passage, but I really only read a short part of what we could have read in a rather exciting story about Gideon. Now, as was mentioned earlier this past Monday, we sent off a team of 17 people from this church to serve for some 15 days in Uganda. And many of you watched them as they prepared to go, and hopefully many of you are faithfully praying for them while they are there. But you know, there's a tendency to think that God uses special people, super saints, if you will, for missions. We tend to regard missionaries as being very different from you or from me, and we think of home missions as something that's done by evangelists or revivalists or trained members of crew or or professionals. Perhaps you've even been tempted to view those who witness as better Christians. And perhaps you think that somehow they're different than us spiritually. And yet, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, Paul says that God calls every Christian an ambassador for Christ. But trusting in Jesus, by trusting in Jesus Christ alone, we are uh, adopted as sons and daughters of God. But also, we are called to represent Jesus Christ to the people around us right here, where we work, where we study, where we eat out or party or reside. And the fact is that ready or not, you do represent Jesus Christ So every day we really ought to be asking ourselves, how can I represent him well here and now? How can I be a fruitful servant of God at this moment? And what serving God looks like will vary a bit from person to person because God deals with us individually. And so his calling to you will be different than his calling to me, than his calling to Robbie or to uh, John or, or Tony or any of us. But what I want us to do is to look into this passage on Gideon and to see uh, several characteristics of fruitful servants of God that can be found here in the life of Gideon. And as we study this passage, I want us to see three things. I want us to see the characteristics of fruitful servants of God then some obstacles to that fruitfulness, and then finally the grace that makes our service fruitful. The characteristics, the obstacles, and then the grace that makes our service fruitful. First, the characteristics of fruitful servants of God. Gideon is an excellent example for us of what we ought to look at in order to know what it means to be fruitful because he saw himself not as a super saint, but as an ordinary man, even as we see ourselves as ordinary. And hopefully, like Gideon, we seek to be faithful to God. If we've trusted in Jesus and thus want to please him in our daily lives, then we need to see what traits God describes for his servants. Now, as you may be aware, Gideon was in a really troubled time, In the midst of the book of Judges, we have this repeated cycle of where uh, the people of Israel forget about the God who brought them out of Egypt and out of slavery, and then God uh, sends a a nation to trouble them, to persecute them, to even invade them, uh, and to drive them back to uh, recognizing their need of God, and then finally Israel does call out to the Lord for deliverance, and then God raises up a judge to lead them to uh, salvation and to uh, restoration in their relationship with a God. And so that's what's happening here. The current plague is the Midianites, a nation nearby, and what they were doing is the Midianites would come in, very conveniently at harvest time and come in and strip the fields of their crops and of their livestock so that the people of Israel were destitute and in great need. And finally, they did call out for God to deliver them. And where we join the story is where God calls Gideon to be that deliverer. And there are four characteristics in Gideon that I'd like us to examine that make him a fruitful servant of God. And in my study of Scripture, actually, I see these same four characteristics show up in everyone whom God uses fruitfully in his service, with Jesus being the prime example of all four traits. So in this passage, we'll see first that Gideon is flexible. Look at verse 11. Flexibility doesn't mean that we blow about with every wind that blows around. That would be a weakness that would be exploited by our enemies. But what we see here in Gideon is a flexibility that's a strength. It's an ability to adapt to new conditions, to be able to change how we do things in order to continue in faithful, fruitful service of the Lord. And so in verse 11, where do we find Gideon? But he is threshing out wheat not on the threshing floor, but in a wine press, out of the way, out of the sight of the Midianites. If his family's going to eat, they need to thresh the wheat. But if they do it out in the open, who will show up but the Midianites to steal their food? And so here's Gideon being flexible, doing things a different way in order to continue in faithfulness to the Lord. And so he adapted how he worked in order to overcome the obstacle of the Midianite invasions. If we will be fruitful servants of God, then we too need to be flexible to adapt how we do things to our, in our daily life to the circumstances we encounter. A Greek philosopher way, way back, a fellow named Heraclitus, said, everything changes and nothing stands still. It's been paraphrased that the only constant in life is change. And that's indeed true. And so our Uganda team, when they got there, undoubtedly felt huge challenges of change, not only because of jet lag, but also because they entered into a culture very foreign to our own. They had to adapt. They had to craft ministry to meet the needs of the people there. And so we too face challenges uh, that come about because of change that we have to adapt to. I mean, just look at how our culture in, in our nation, in our city, have changed over the last 20 years. It's just It almost makes your head spin, the number of changes that have taken place. Or consider what challenges we face in following the Lord Jesus when we see changes like a move or a change of jobs or a graduation or a change of health or the gain or loss of a member of our family. It becomes a real challenge. Sometimes simply spending time and reading the Bible and praying each day becomes like an insurmountable mountain uh, to someone who is a new mother trying to figure out how to deal with the demands of a child, or a student trying to meet a deadline on a project. To be a faithful servant of the Lord, we need to be able to adapt the way that we do things to the changing circumstances so that we can continue to follow the Lord and remain faithful to Him in all that His Word tells us to do. So the first characteristic is to be flexible. The second characteristic we see in Gideon is humility, to be humble. Verses 12 through 15, the angel of the Lord comes and and delivers this greeting. Uh, he, he calls him and he says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, which seems almost laughable in a way because here's Gideon hiding in, in the winepress, uh, and yet that's what the Lord declares. And so Gideon doesn't grab onto that title of man of valor, but rather in humility, starts to say, you know, wait a minute, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And Gideon's assessment of himself was accurate. You see, humility is not sort of a one-downsmanship, I can make myself lower than you by beating myself about the head and shoulders. Humility in the true sense of biblical humility means to see ourselves as God sees us to see ourselves entirely dependent upon God. And that's how Gideon saw himself. He was a man who was not capable in and of himself of saving Israel. He knew that. There was no pride or bravado in Gideon at all. He was well aware of his limitations and his inability to be the deliverer. He knew he was entirely dependent on God. And that's why God's assurance to him was so very important. In the very next verse, after verse 15, where where Gideon pleads his case, uh, God uh, comes back to him in verse 16, and it says to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. What an encouragement. Now, Gideon may have had a hard time believing it, but that's what God declared. Being humble can be a challenge in a culture that encourages us to exalt ourselves, to build up our self-esteem, to highlight our own strengths, to blow our own trumpet. And yet the most accurate assessment of ourselves is the one that God has of us. We are servants of God, saved by grace, and living in total dependence on God's mercy, His grace, and His power to bring about any fruitful labor. So we have flexibility, we have humility, and then we see in Gideon that he was available. Gideon was available to be used. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Gideon was, his knees were trembling a little bit at this point, as God called him to be the deliverer of Israel from the Midianites. But you notice that Gideon didn't run away, or he didn't refuse the call that God had given him. In fact, we see in verses 17 through 20 that Gideon sought further fellowship with the Lord. Now, it's interesting. Why, what do you mean fellowship with the Lord? This is the angel of the Lord. But notice how uh, in verse 16 our passage says, The Lord said to him. This is not just any ordinary angel. This is God himself in a pre-incarnate appearance. Uh, speaking to Gideon. That's why when he says later on that he realized he'd seen the angel of the Lord face to face while he was was afraid he was going to die and why it was good news that God pronounced peace to him. And so here's God saying, I have a job for you to do. And Gideon demonstrated availability by seeking further fellowship with him. How about you? Are you available... To be used by God to accomplish His kingdom purposes here in Charleston, in your home, in your neighborhood? Or do you give God just sort of the leftovers of your time and your attention? Or are you running from a task that God has shown you that He wants you to do? Or have you refused to do something, perhaps to repair a painful relationship or to seek someone's forgiveness? Or are you too busy threshing out the wheat in your life to serve the Lord as a volunteer or as a teacher or as a discipler or one preparing himself to be an elder or a deacon in this congregation? God's call on your life may be challenging and it perhaps is a bit scary. But a fruitful servant is available to the Lord at all times. After all, as we look at Gideon, we see God seems to call at the times and in the ways that we least expect. Gideon didn't wake up that morning and say, well, this is the day the Lord's going to talk to me. And yet he was available when God called. And then the fourth characteristic, we have flexible, we have humble, we have available. And then the fourth one, faithful. Gideon was faithful. In verses 25 through 27, the very night... Of the day in which the angel spoke to him, God calls him to do something that is pretty risky. Remember, the whole nation is going after Baal and worshiping Baal. His own father apparently had erected the altar and the Asherah pole that the people were using to worship Baal. And God calls Gideon to tear that altar down, to build an altar to the Lord, and uh, to lead in God's worship. And that's what he did. He did just that. He gathered 10 folks. He was a little bit afraid, so he did it at night rather than during the day. But he tore the altar down. He built an altar uh, to the Lord, and he offered a sacrifice to the Lord, even as he was uh, told to do. Gideon was faithful. But his faithfulness didn't stop there. Because what does God do next? Well, we didn't read that far, but if you get into the the uh, later in chapter six, we have the Midianites assembling. They come forth with an army of one hundred and thirty-five thousand people, one hundred and thirty-five thousand warriors, to come up against little Israel. And so, what does Gideon do? He calls forth the Israelites to gather to fight, and he manages to have an army of thirty-two thousand. Okay, four to one odds, eh, still not very good. But God says, that's too many. So invite those in your army who don't want to stay to go home. And 22,000 of those 32,000 go home. So Gideon's probably still a little nervous, but he's faithful. And then God says, 10,000 is too much. And God whittles his force down to 300. But Gideon trusts God and is faithful to the calling God gives him and so he doesn't refuse to go rather he goes into battle and by God's grace guess what they triumph his 300 defeat the 135,000 Gideon was faithful he was flexible he was humble he was available and he was faithful what about you Have you given mental assent to serving the Lord in some way, but haven't yet taken action? Gideon didn't delay and didn't make excuses. He did what the Lord called, and he did it immediately. Well, perhaps you, like me, need to grow a bit more to gain some strength in some areas of weakness. And so that's why we need to take a little time to be honest with ourselves and recognize that there are obstacles out there, and we do have weakness. And, and let's look a little bit at what those obstacles may be. What are the obstacles to fruitfulness? Well, we can see in this passage the strengths, but there are plenty of examples of corresponding weaknesses, corresponding obstacles. So in place of flexibility or adaptability, we find rigidity. Rigidity. Think about the Pharisees who were so fixed on their religious practices that they were comfortable with that they missed that Jesus was the Messiah that they were looking for. I, for one, in my ministry as a Navy chaplain, had some success in a particular type of ministry, and then the Lord moved me to a different duty station, and I thought, Oh, great, I'll do that ministry in the new duty station. And guess what? It didn't work. And the Lord had to teach me that I had to be flexible because with every change of circumstance, there needed to be some changes in what I did in terms of ministry. What about you? Is there an area in your life where you have a certain rigidity clinging to what's familiar and comfortable rather than adapting to the changing circumstances that the Lord's raised up in your life? Or another obstacle, in place of humility, we find oftentimes there's a self-focus. Consider what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2.20 when he said, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. We miss the boat on humility when we look for what we can get out of being a part of a church rather than how we can contribute service to the common good of the body of Christ. We've seen gifts demonstrated this morning in John and in Tony and in Todd leading and Robbie and Karen and the music, you know, with Devin back up there keeping me so you can hear me. Uh, these are the contributions of gifts, but there's many gifts to be had. And if we don't contribute them because we're wanting to do what's comfortable for us, we are falling into this obstacle of self-focus. Where is your focus? Is it on your desires Or do you humbly look for the needs that are around you that God might use you to fill? A third obstacle, in place of being available, we find situations where people are driven more by their personal agendas or preferences. Jesus encountered this sort of stumbling uh, in his ministry. In Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24, he tells the parable uh, to some of the people that were following him uh, who were making excuses. And he told of, of a man who, who uh, gave a banquet and he went and invited his friends and his friends kept making excuses. Well, I've bought some land. I've married a wife. I've bought myself a cow. Please excuse me. I can't come. And then he tells his servants to go to the, out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Has God been inviting you to be engaged in His kingdom work? And have you been so focused on your social calendar or or work or your children's activities that you're losing sight of Jesus Himself? When we pay more attention to our own personal preferences and desires and agendas than we do to what God may be wanting us to accomplish then we find ourselves kind of in danger of those sorts of folks that Jesus told the parable about. And then another obstacle, in place of faithfulness, are you finding that you struggle with faithfulness and are tempted to give up when the going gets tough? One clear example of that was Jesus' own disciples. When he was arrested, what did they do? They all ran for the hills. But what about us? In ordinary life, Isn't it easy to step away from relationships and even uh, from the church when it becomes difficult to deal with certain people? Yet God calls us into relationships to be His instruments of grace and that that grace is needed most by people who are most difficult. Just look at the grace that the Apostle Paul showed in his dealings with the Corinthians. Talk about a messed up church, and yet he just pours out grace upon grace toward them as he seeks to guide them in their walk with the Lord. Or you have Paul and Barnabas who had a disagreement over John Mark, and for a while they they uh, separated in ministry, and yet it turned out to be God's grace for the multiplying of missions, and sure enough in time... Paul and Barnabas, having dealt graciously with one another, find that John Mark ends up being a co-worker with Paul later on. How about you? Are you struggling with these obstacles to fruitful service to the Lord? If you are, let me tell you, you're not alone, because all of us do. All of us struggle regularly to overcome these obstacles to being flexible, humble, available, and faithful yet even in the face of such struggles there is good news and that's what i want to focus on the grace that makes fruitful service possible grace is god's kindness that we don't deserve it's his involvement in our lives giving us not what we do deserve but giving us his love and his equipping and so what do we find from god's grace he he makes up in supply what we lack so in light of those weaknesses that we all struggle with, what does God do? Well, first of all, He gives us forgiveness. And that we rejoiced in, even in our service this morning, when we confess our sins and then the assurance from God's Word that He does forgive. He tells us in 1 John 1, nine, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No matter how badly you may have failed, or even failing now, we're assured that God forgives completely. And we take great pleasure in what He tells us in Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I live by that text. God is gracious, and He forgives us when we fail. But the fact is that our inabilities, our weaknesses are very real. And so what does God do? He sends His Holy Spirit to empower us. If you look at verse 34 there in Judges chapter 6, here are the Midianites gathering, the army is there, the threat is there, and it says in verse 34, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. God sent His Spirit upon Gideon to equip him for the work that He'd called him to do. Now, that certainly was a special endowment that God gave Gideon uh, for this particular occasion. But that's how God works. He he steps in when we most need Him and makes up for what we lack. When we're weak, He is our strength. In Ezra, uh, we read about how Cyrus, the, the emperor of Persia, uh, let go some of the uh, cap- the uh, Jews who had been exiled to Babylon, and he let them go to go back and build the temple in Jerusalem. Talk about a daunting task! The the Babylonians had torn the temple down; it was rubble. And so God sent through Cyrus sent Zerubbabel to lead the Jews in the rebuilding of the temple, and that was seemingly an insurmountable task. Task, but we, we get a glimpse of what God's perspective is in the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 6. We hear the words of the prophet. It says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. How would he rebuild the temple? How will you accomplish what God calls you to do. Not by my might, not by your might, not by power, but by God's Spirit. And so He sends His Spirit to us to make up for what we lack. If we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Bible assures us that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, the third person of the Trinity, God Himself dwelling in us, active in us to lead us in faith, and in following the Lord. And so God has given us all we need to serve Him if we will but trust and follow His Word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Listen to what I say. God has given us all we need in order to serve Him if all we do is trust Him and follow His Word as the Holy Spirit leads us. One of my favorite verses is Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe Him? If He's calling you, He will equip you. And yet, like all ambassadors, we ambassadors for Christ may feel very much alone in our task, in a foreign environment, in a world that doesn't really love the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet... God makes a promise to Gideon and to us, and that is that God is with us. Look at verse 16 there of Judges chapter 6. Gideon's quaking in his boots. I'm the least among the house of my father and the least of the tribes, uh, the smallest clan in the tribe. And God says, uh, I will be with you. I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God knows your sense of being alone, my sense of being alone in the face of great undertakings. And that's why he assures his people so many times about being with us. Think about Joshua as he's about to lead Israel into the promised land. Three times in the first three chapters, he assures Joshua that he, he, God, will be with Joshua. Or when Solomon's getting ready to build the temple, I will be with you, God says. So many times, or perhaps of greatest significance to you and to me, is the Great Commission in Matthew 28 when Jesus says, Go out and make disciples of all nations, and then he assures them, I will be with you even until the end of the age. And the result of God's presence is that no matter how difficult the calling is, no matter how daunting the task may seem, God will make it doable. In fact, he'll make it surprisingly easier than we anticipate. That's why he said to Gideon, you shall strike the Midianites, all 135,000 of them, as if they were one person. How can that be? And with a force of only 300? But that's what God did. That's the sort of assurance that God gives us. But one more thing to remember is, who owns the battle. The battle, the task that you've been given, belongs to the Lord. Any battle that God sets up in His sovereign rule over all creation, He controls even down to the most minute details. And He will ensure that His purpose is accomplished. Now, let's face it. The tapestry of God's work is so much bigger than your life or mine or even our particular point in history. God owns the battle. He owns the eternal plan, and He will accomplish it. And He'll even use you and me to do it. Now, you may wonder if you're ever going to be ready for the challenges of your profession Or you may be a young mother who's dealing with a rambunctious two-year-old and you're wondering how in the world you're going to bring this child up safely to adulthood. The battle belongs to the Lord. He will accomplish it. Are you ready to take up the challenge of being a servant of God where the Lord has planted you? You're here because He brought you here. What does He have for you to do? It may be to be a missionary to Uganda next time the team goes. Or it may be to be a student just a few blocks from here. Or a weary parent comforting a child. Or an older person mentoring a younger man or woman in the Lord. God gives each of us the privilege and the opportunity to have an impact on the eternal destiny and welfare of other people. And of whole cities. And of entire nations. And of the world. Now you may feel a bit like Gideon. Just trying to survive in the face of your Midianites. And you may not see how He can possibly do anything more in your life than you're just surviving another day. And yet God has given you and me a place in His plan. And He may intend to use you to change a life. And it may begin by just a warm smile and greeting to somebody you just met that leads to a relationship. It may be that God's been planning in your heart uh, to use your gifts in his service, but you're not quite sure how to begin or what to do. And so pray and seek the counsel of your elders so that God might use that to show you what he would have you do. Unless you think at this point, hey, I just can't do it. Uh, well, who am I? Let me point you back to one more Bible example in 2 Kings chapter 5. You have the story about Naaman, who was a commander of the army of Syria, a mighty warrior, a man of high position and importance who had leprosy. And God used a young Jewish slave girl who was the servant of his wife to point him to his Savior. Who was she? She was the least. She was a a, a Jew in a foreign land. She was a slave, and yet God used her to lead Naaman to believe in the Savior. If God can use that slave girl to change a life, certainly he can use you and he can use me. Are you seeking to know his calling for you? Are you listening to God? Believe me, it's eternally important that you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us that privilege to serve you. And not one of us is equal to the task. But Lord, we are assured by you that you are and that your grace will be sufficient for all our needs. Lord, please show us how you would use us. And then fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might be bold servants perhaps in ways that surprise even us. But Lord, we pray that you would be glorified as we, your children, walk with the Lord Jesus faithfully in humility, with availability and flexibility for what you call us to do. And so we entrust ourselves to your use and your care. In Jesus' name, amen.